You're listening to Pros Like Us, brought to you by NFL Draft Blitz. And now, without any further ado, here's Alex and Lou. That's right, gang. We are back and better than last week, we hope. As we record, just over one week away from the opening round of the NFL Draft. I'll speak for Alex here. This is the most exciting time of the year. Yes, we love watching the games and everything else, but the, the, you know, draft time is pretty special time for us. Chips or no chips, uh, we'll get into that in just a second, and you'll probably have an idea what I'm talking about there. But uh, first, before we get into all this, let's bring in Alex and just say, hey, what's going on, man? How you doing? It is Christmas for me, the NFL draft. It's, it gives teams and fans hope that they can get it right. And I think most fans are satisfied with their picks come draft day. But then once those guys show up in training camp and once they play the games, then half of the fans abandon that rookie class realizing that they can't play. Yeah, it's it's an exciting time. You know how I feel about it. Everybody's got opinions nowadays. I remember when you and I were doing the show like five or six years ago, you know, the draft community wasn't as big as it is right now because everybody everyone including my mom and my grandma i mean they've got opinions on on the top <laughs> quarterbacks as well we need to tune into their show I'd, I'd be very interested to hear what their take is on this whole quarterback business let's first off sports illustrated comes out with with uh, an article it, it was with trevor lawrence and here's a kid that's i don't know maybe six or seven years ago probably was anointed whenever he was eligible to be the number one pick you know obviously been this almost like a Teflon-type character because at this time of year, every quarterback, every top pick gets picked apart, nitpicked, I mean, whatever. Really, we haven't heard anything, right? Have you heard anything about tre- negative about Trevor Lawrence prior to this article coming out? No, we haven't. He's been squeaky clean. And, and with good reason. I mean, he hasn't done anything to really merit, you know, to really get nitpick but everybody does eventually right i don't know that he's really you know suffered any real public adversity i mean other than you know getting covid and so forth but again that wasn't his fault he didn't do something to warrant that and it really wasn't negative he really hasn't faced any adversity so you know when i said at the, at the top chip or no chip there have been some fame infamous famous chips. I mean, we we can go down the list, multiple sports, and it seems like anybody that's been great, a lot of the greats, Brady, you know, Montana, Marino, Breeze, Aaron Rodgers, all of them, you can say, have some kind of chip on their shoulder. They've been slighted in some way. Hell, Michael Jordan famously would make stuff up you know, outside, you know, started when you know he w- he wasn't a starter in his high school team as a as a sophomore and a, and a junior. Then when he gets in the league, he's getting beat up. The team isn't very good. People would say stuff about him. I mean, we we saw it on the last dance, and he just kind of rolled that into being who he was. So Lawrence comes out and says that there's more to life than football. And I'm just paraphrasing here. You guys can read it. You probably have already. He puts it in perspective. On one hand, you know, when we ask these guys questions, 
typically you get these canned responses that everybody has that is very vanilla, don't want to offend anybody, don't want to raise any eyebrows, but we want to hear, yeah, well, geez, it would be great if these guys were more honest. Well, he's honest, and now he's getting killed for it. Is this a story? I mean, does this is this is this anything really worth really delving into? Should the Jags be worried, in other words? You make a great point. A lot of the great athletes, they've always looked for that extra motivation. Whether it's in football or it doesn't matter, it crosses over to other sports. You mentioned Michael Jordan as well. They look for that extra motivation to go further. What happens if Trevor Lawrence wins a championship and wins a Super Bowl? How committed is he going to be to winning a second one, a third one? I mean, I guess that's my question, Mark. There's a guy by the name of Andrew Luck that also had some things going outside of football. The injuries caught up with him, and then he realized, you know, it's it's just not worth it anymore. I want to be healthy. I have a family. I have kids, and I want to do something outside of football. And he stepped away. And a lot of people would look at his career being the number one overall pick as a bit of a disappointment because he was supposed to be the next generational talent. He was supposed to be the the next superstar, and yet Russell Wilson outplayed him. They were picked in the same draft, and Wilson was drafted in the third round. He continues to play and and chase and uh, be one of the all-time great quarterbacks in this league. I think that's the question, Mark. How committed is he? Like, How great does he want to be? Because in high school, in college, Trevor Lawrence has always been the best player on the football field. We can't argue that. Every time you look at him, he is the best player, and he's getting by based on his physical ability. But in the NFL, everybody is going to be great. So you need that extra motivation. What's going to set you apart? Are you a film junkie? Are you going to be in there like putting in the extra hours? Are you going to be at the facility at five o'clock in the morning? So when you hear things like this, you start to question like, Zach Wilson has got more of a chip on his shoulder. Trey Lance wants to be great. Justin Fields, everybody is doubting him. So that means he wants to prove it to the entire world that he's the best quarterback in this draft. Trevor Lawrence doesn't have to prove anything, but I'm just curious whether he's going to be the next Andrew Luck or whether he's going to be the next Peyton Manning. Well, the parallel to Luck, I think, works in some degree because, you know, you're walking into a situation where, and Luck was just thrown to the wolves. And they didn't have a very good offensive line. And he was taking hits and, and shots and so forth. So we'll see, but there's a pretty good chance that's what's going to happen to Trevor Lawrence. You know, knock on wood, he doesn't get the injuries that Luck did. But, you know, what happens when they're 2-6 and six and people are starting, you know, starting to question you know, his performance and maybe not do so much to his talent level or commitment, but more so the team? Maybe that's when he starts to develop that chip because, you know, no sooner does the article come out, probably within, I don't know, 36 hours, you know, he had to, you know, come out with an explanation of what he meant. And I don't know that anybody has, has really questioned his work ethic. I mean, Sweeney, you know, his coach at Clemson speaks, you know, volumes of him. Everybody's ever been associated with. He is a hard worker. He does want to be great. And, and you answer a question a certain way. And now all of a sudden, everybody starts getting a little, a little scared because, of course, yeah, he is going to be the first pick. 
But again, without having faced any you know true adversity or being criticized in any way, it seems like. I mean, I'm I'm you know doing a little bit of research. Has anybody really actually criticized him to the point he'd have to come out and prove to them something? And no, it really hasn't happened. So, like I said, that chip can develop. Uh, over time and hopefully like you said that he's not necessarily you have to have that chip but there there is going to be adversity so we'll just kind of use semantics here instead of a chip start to suffer some adversity okay now does the true the true character arrives at this point now he did have you know the the game against Ohio State where Justin Fields kind of they kind of boat raced their team you know they they really dominated the game you know once they got going it still has kind of slid off of him. It really hasn't affected him. So, yeah, a chip can be great, but by the same token, you know, it's not everything. He is, says he is self-motivated and everything. But like I said, I mean, I think that what we're going to see, not going to come out of the gate and be winning a lot again. He's going to lose more games in the first half of next season than he did his entire career at Clemson. No question. I mean, that may happen in the first month. I don't know. He seems like he has the makeup and he and he wants to be great. Maybe this was just him again answering a question honestly. So we can't sit here today and interpret what he says to say, well, hey, if this isn't going very well in the first, you know, four or five years, eh, I got other things to do. I don't really feel that. But again, it gives us something to talk about here because we haven't had anything to talk about regarding Trevor Lawrence, except for he's the best right now. People have been fishing for stories, and this isn't the only thing that has come out. There are a couple other things. First of all, he skipped his medical because he was getting married. And some people took that as an offense like they believe hey you can you can forget about your marriage you you got to take that medical man i mean what's the point (laughs) so people have been like driving this narrative out there whether he really loves football and whether he's committed about the game but he is how can you be this good without having commitment to football in in high school and in college i mean you've seen him get better This isn't just like he came in as a freshman, he lit the college world on fire, and he stayed at the same level. No, he has gotten better. He's been through some bumps and bruises. As a sophomore, he took a step back a little bit in his play, in his decision-making, threw a few more picks. In the second half of the sophomore year, Again, he he rose, and as a junior, the expectations, everybody knew he was the number one overall pick, so the expectations were at an all-time high. He lived up to it, and even though there are some guys breathing down his neck, he never let them be in that conversation. He's the reason why Urban Meyer took the job. He went to the Jacksonville Jaguars because he knew he would have the chance to to coach Trevor Lawrence. There's another story out there, by the way. He's not going to be attending the NFL draft. Obviously, with the pandemic and everything that's going on in this country, it's it's a valid point. But most of the top picks are going to be there in Cleveland attending it, especially the top quarterbacks. Trevor Lawrence decided against that. 
again, it remains to be seen. I mean, we'll see. I'm not so so worried about him right now. That may change, you know, depending on how well protected he is as a quarterback. I mean, we saw Burrow get hurt in his first season last year. Hopefully he's able to come back and they do a better job protecting him. Let's hope the Jags kind of take a look at that and say, all right, this is our priority. This is where we have to, you know, put our draft capital after we get Lawrence, and uh, yeah, let's just let's give him the best opportunity to show his best self. One of the other top quarterbacks had their second pro day or elevated private workout because of the situation this season. Trey Lance, and we haven't talked so much about him. And I guess once San Francisco, it seems like they made that trade. Everything has just gone, and the the stories and the and the rumors and everything comes out that you know it's it's a Mac Jones type situation that the conversation moved away from him a little bit. I, he still is one of the top five. He still has probably more upside than anybody, you know, short of Trevor Lawrence. I mean, I maybe it's going to be close. I think he does have that shows those traits. The negative thing about him is that he hasn't played that many games. He hasn't played against you know, top competition. He only played one game this year, and for better or worse, he you know didn't jump off the field or make a bu- make a bunch of uh, you know touchdown passes and maybe threw some interceptions, ran the ball pretty well. But again, it was an uneven performance against Central Arkansas, so it wasn't really playing anybody that good. But if you look at like NBA players and when they come out of the draft or they come out of college or wherever they happen to be playing, some of these guys are very inexperienced as well. So, I mean, it it depends on how well you can project. Kyrie Irving, would he play like six or seven games that Duke got hurt and then, you know, he was a top five pick? And and again, it can still happen. He's going to be a top pick, but you have to, again, have that faith and say that, we can't like point to here's what we see on film, whatever. We see that, hey, these are the physical abilities. We know he's got it upstairs. He's a very mature kid, very smart kid. That's the, you know, the, that's the unknown. We thought, well, San Francisco, they didn't trade up to third to take, take Mac Jones, but a little bit more maturity. Again, same number of starts, but against top competition. What do you do? I mean, this is this may be the toughest evaluation because again, he may be, have the highest ceiling. To me, you're the, you know you're the evaluator. You watch these a little bit closer. What do you say to those people that say, "Well, I don't know. He's you know lower level competition, only 17 starts. How can we invest that much?" You're right. He does have the highest ceiling out of all the quarterbacks in this draft, and we're taking Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson under consideration. I love Trey Lance. I'm all in on Trey Lance. Trevor Lawrence is number one. Zach Wilson is number two. I have Trey Lance as my number three quarterback on the board. So to answer your question, who the 49ers should take at number three, I would say the stars are aligning for them to take the North Dakota State quarterback, Trey Lance. Because they've already said, basically, that we want to keep Jimmy G in 2021. Let Trey Lance develop. Let him sit for a year, and then he can take over. I think this is the perfect quarterback for Kyle Shanahan's offense. I realize that Mac Jones is a good fit, but you could do so much more with Trey Lance on those bootlegs. Trey Lance played in a pro-style offense. He took snaps from under center, something that you can't say about the other four top quarterbacks in this draft. 
He loves play action. I mean, he's so successful on those play action passes. And his competitive nature, his, he's very coachable. He's a film junkie. When you hear stuff like that, and you realize that he's only a one-year starter, but you combine all those things with his physical tools, and you realize that the sky is the limit. You have something here. I'm all in, and I think the 49ers should be all in as well because we're not talking about next year. We're talking about who the best quarterback is going to be in three years, and and Trey Lance has a chance to outplay a, a lot of the other guys that you and I have talked about in the past shows. You just you combine all those things, and we see Mitchell Trubisky as a perfect example of a guy who only had one year at North Carolina and just he had one good season, but it hasn't worked out for him with the Chicago Bears. But then you look at somebody like Kyler Murray. Kyler Murray had one good season at Oklahoma. He was the number one overall pick for the Arizona Cardinals. He's off to a good start. So right now, this whole you need 30 starts under your belt, what Bill Parcells used to say, I don't think that relates to today's NFL because you have so many guys transferring and therefore they don't have that three, four years to play at one school. They have like a year, maybe two. We saw it with Joe Burrow last year where he didn't get a sniff of any playing time at Ohio State. Transferred to LSU, played there two years and really came on board as a senior and uh, catapulted himself as a big-time prospect. I am a fan of Trey Lance and I have him higher on my board than I do Justin Fields and Mac Jones. Yeah, well, to your your point as well about the 30 starts, the game has changed. I mean, the, the offenses are much different, and the younger kids, they seem to, they've got their own, their own trainers at, you know, some of them in eighth or ninth grade, depending on the parents and what they can afford, I suppose. But I mean, as far as the seven-on-sevens, the, the these Elite 11 camps, I mean, by the time they're you know, they get to college, they've had so many snaps and seen so many things. Now, you know, yeah, there's something to be said, you know, once you get there, how do you now take that experience to the field in college and so forth? So, but yeah, it is difficult to get those 30 starts, especially when most of them are coming out early anyway. And yeah, the transfer portal and all these other things. So things have changed. So you have to adapt. And, and like you said, I mean, if you want to go sheerly on talent and what you've seen, you know, as far as watching him on certain plays and, and certain games, I think, yeah, that would that would be the way to go. What would you think about the argument? Or some of the things that you're hearing is that Mac Jones may he doesn't have the upside, but he may be more pro ready like today. If he had to play if you had to pick one of these guys, you know, outside of, of Lawrence to play next season. Mac Jones might be the guy that you'd be more comfortable with playing right away. Would that fall more towards the the Shanahan system? Because, again, he wants somebody that's going to be very smart, make good decisions, uh, not turn the ball over. They're going to lean on the running game. Are you wavering on that at all? Do you think that Jones is, might still be the guy there at three. You would say that if you were picking, it was Trey Lance, but I might be wavering a little bit on the Mac Jones thing. It just sounds, it just sounds like that might be more the way, they want, the way they want to go. I hope the 49ers have changed their mind. I really do. By, by watching some of these pro days, whether it's Justin Fields or Trey Lance, I hope so. Like I said, I, I like Mac Jones. 
but he's not the type of quarterback that you go up and, and give up three first-round picks to to take a number three. I, I don't see a Matt Ryan. I see a Kirk Cousins. It doesn't make sense. I, it, it just seems like everything I'm hearing or reading. And so, and again, I, who knows how true it is in some of these you know, anonymous people around the league that are somehow associated to to Shanahan and and the 49ers again where there's smoke usually there's fire so I I think um, I'm not going to be shocked if he's the pick at three you pick a player Lou that you think is going to be a good player in three years you don't pick a player just to fill a need that will help you as a rookie and maybe take you to the playoffs If you believe that Trey Lance or Justin Fields is the better quarterback down the road, this is what the draft is about. It's not about Mac Jones hitting his upside as a rookie and then he's got no room to go. He's going to be 23 years old, by the way. For a guy who's only started 17 games, Mac Jones is 23. Trey Lance is going to be 21 May 9th, so after the draft. Justin Fields is also 21. You got to take age under consideration as well. Mac Jones is the oldest draft prospect out of the quarterbacks, out of the top five quarterbacks that we've been talking about on this show for for the past month. You got to take that under consideration. He's an older prospect playing against some younger guys. There's no wonder why at 23 or 22 last year, he was dominating guys who were like 18 or 19 years old. Take that under consideration as well. And in my opinion, you could still keep Jimmy G to be that bridge quarterback in 2021. And you can have that guy, whoever you take, whether it's Mac Jones, Justin Fields, or Trey Lance, sitting in the wings. I keep coming back to this. For some reason, there's this narrative that Mac Jones is the most pro-ready quarterback. I would say that if he had a couple of years under his belt. 17 starts. Pretty much the, the same thing as Trey Lance, just at the SEC level. Well, again, you've been doing this a long time. I've watched the draft for many, many years, and we all know that a little bit more than occasionally that teams will kind of, I don't know, they they will go against some some of those conventional, I don't want to say conventional wisdom, but the idea that you're drafting for, for the guy's career, not right now. When these contracts and the structure of the draft kind of changed, so it's not so cost prohibitive uh, to take a quarterback at the top. Again, they're they're ready to move off of people a little bit quicker. I think you know with these coaches, again, he may not be feeling Shanahan and and John Lynch may be feeling pressure from the owner just yet, but they have to kind of look at the handwriting on the wall. Yes, we have Jimmy G, but can we rely on him? He rarely plays. There's a pretty good chance he's going to get hurt again. So somebody's going to have to play somebody else. Theoretically, it all sounds it all sounds good, and it makes sense if you're taking that long view. But they're thinking we got to <laughs> we got to win games now. We you know, th- this is a tough division. We you know Seattle is still going to be good. Arizona is improving. The Rams, I think, are going to be markedly better with Stafford. I will not be shocked. Seriously, I mean, I just the more I think of it, the more you you're hearing things about. Whether you believe these sources or not, it just sounds awfully strange. Yes, ordinarily, if you're just looking at this, you would say, no chance in hell this guy's going to go third overall. No one knows what the Niners are going to do at number three, except for GM John Lynch 
and for head coach Kyle Shanahan. I'm not even sure the scouts know because they don't want that information to leak out. Right. So the two main people in charge are the ones that pretty much know. And they probably knew when they moved up to number three because they knew that Lawrence and Wilson were going to go one and two, and they knew the next guy that they were going to target. They made that trade knowing the guy that they will go after. I don't believe the fact that they just traded all of those picks to just pick the best guy out of the three. I don't subscribe to that theory. They knew exactly who they were trading up to number three. But there are always surprises, Lou, and we don't have to go far. A couple of years ago, Dave Gettleman pulled a fast one on everyone because nobody, no one, saw the Giants taking Daniel Jones at six. No, and, and and I guess that was my point is that it just, you know, it only takes one team to fall in love with you and close this out. I won't be surprised if Mac Jones is the pick, although I believe that Trey Lance will have the better career overall. I'm not sitting in that room. My job is not tied to these picks. So it's easy for, for me to sit here and say, well, hey, you should, t- you should take this guy. So it's going to be very interesting near or at the, at the top. Going all the way down, I mean, we've, we've been you know talking about this, like the draft starts at four. You're going to have quarterbacks one, two, and three. We know that. We may not know who number three pick is, but it's going to be a quarterback. The draft starts at four with the Falcons. There's going to be there's going to be some action here. I don't know if any any of these picks are going to change hands. More than likely, they will. Yeah, that, that's why this time this time here is so intriguing. Everybody's zero and zero. Everybody has hope. And speaking of zero and zero, it's never too early to start looking at next year's win totals. Yes, that's right. No matter which uh, yeah, sports book you like or whatever, uh, Fox Sports Bet, Bovada, uh, Vegas Insider, you know, DraftKings, wherever you, these are going to be pretty close. But the over/under future bets for next year have come out. And they're all about each team's total is going to be around the same, regardless of where you look. We're going to base it on on just kind of a a consensus. They came out at the top. I don't know if it's any surprise. You know, the Chiefs' total is 12. Now, also, one of the things that we have to get used to is these are based on 17 games, which this will be a first. So you got to kind of look at it that way when you're so conditioned to say, well, 12 and 4, sure, they can do they can do that. No, that's 12 and 5. So anyway, they're at the top. Tampa Bay, 11 and a half. There's, you know, obviously the rest of the league kind of filters down. But there's a few we wanted to talk about. And I know, uh, Alex, we kind of agreed on one. The Browns are listed at 9 and a half. So basically, they need to go 10 and 7 for you to be a winner if you go over. I got to believe they've got one of the best rosters in the NFL. Is this like an indictment on Baker Mayfield saying that no matter what you put around him, he's still your quarterback? You won, what, 11 games last year? Not to say that, you know, that guarantees anything, but they've improved, you know, free agency wise. You've got a draft coming up. I don't know. I, I feel pretty good about that over nine and a half. I don't like Baker Mayfield, but I do realize that you should be picking the Browns as a dark horse to make it to the Super Bowl and represent the AFC. I know that sounds crazy, but this is a team that is coming off a playoff win. All right. They had a good season and they've got a good team around Baker Mayfield. There's no way he can screw it up. They've done a good job finding pieces in free agency this year, filling up the roster 
OBJ is going to be back, and I assume that he's going to be there in 2021. I'm with you. I can't see, like looking at their schedule, and I looked at their schedule, I can't see how this team will not win 11 games next season. And they added, you know, Jadavian Clowney. Say what you will about him. I mean, he's a ton of potential there still. Playing, potential? You know, Jesus Christ. Miles I mean, what a scary word that is. Potential. <laughs> he's <laughs> going to be like one thir- overall he's gonna be He's going to be 30 years old. We're still going to be talking about his potential. But, uh, Man, he's a yeah, bust. I mean, he's, I mean he's, he was the number one overall pick, and I just wanted to throw this in there. Yeah, he certainly oh, yeah. hasn't lived up to his billing. For all those people that were careful and said, don't take him at number one, and they were some of those people. You know, He only had three and a half sacks during his final season at South Carolina. Potential is a scary word for a 30-year-old. He's been Absolutely. a bust, He's and been a it's, bust. You, you still go back to that hit. I think it was in the Citrus Bowl against Michigan where he almost took the hand off. And I think people just still think about that. They, yeah, that's that's who he is. That's who we're going to get on every play. And it just hasn't happened. I think last year they offered him even more money, the Browns. Uh, and he didn't sign with them. And now he's settled for like $10 million because they were probably bidding against themselves. I don't think anybody was going to pay him that kind of money. Uh, he's never been an elite pass rusher, but I guess where I was going was perhaps playing opposite of Miles Garrett and not being counted on to be the top pass rusher could give him a chance to elevate his game a bit. We'll see. But but I guess the greater point is that they've done everything they can from its front office standpoint to build that team, help that defense. Offensively, they should continue to be able to score points. Uh, they run the ball as well as anybody with, with Chubb and Hunt. Again, I'm not a, a huge Browns fan, but that number really stuck out to me. Buffalo was one that I looked at at 10 and a half. Now, again, remember, 17 games. So 11 and 6 puts you in the winner's circle here. And I got to believe they're going to be improved next year. So I kind of like that over. And then one of my first under bets, Dallas is also in that group at 9.5. Dallas, Tennessee, Seattle, and Cleveland uh, at 9.5. I'm not real sold on Dallas. or I think they'll be better defensively. Sure, Dak is back. But I think I'm going to go under on that one. The Dallas Cowboys, I think, are going to win the NFC East, and therefore I'm, I'm going to take the over on them. I just think with Dak Prescott back, that defense has to be a little better. And just looking at that mess that the NFC East right now is, Washington doesn't have a quarterback. You know, the Giants have question marks. You know, what happens in Philly with Jalen Hurts? Dallas has the best quarterback in the division by far, and that usually wins you the division. I, I can't see how Mike McCarthy is going to screw this up, you know, second season in a row. I like the Arizona Cardinals. They're at eight games. I'll take the over on that. I just think Cliff Kingsbury is peaking right now. They'll make the playoffs. I think they're one of those dark horse teams in this division or as a, as a wild card team. Kyler Murray is is entering, you know, and. His second season with DeAndre Hopkins, there's going to be more familiarity there. Whether they draft a corner or maybe another wide receiver in the first round, we'll see. But I just, I'm a big fan of the Arizona Cardinals. I think this, this number is way too low. And I'm looking at their schedule as well. I'm saying it right now. This team can easily win 10 or 11 games next year. A lot of people are saying the Rams. I think the Arizona Cardinals are going to win this division. I'm also going to take a couple of teams. I'll take the under on them, uh, the Saints and the Patriots. 
The over and under is nine games. I can't see how the Saints are going to stay afloat in that division uh, with Drew Brees retiring. I don't have like a rosy, clear picture on Jameis Winston or or Taysom Hill there. I think this team is going to take a step back. And the Patriots. This is going to be the second year in a row that Bill Belichick is going to finish with the record under 500. Get used to this, by the way. I know people aren't getting used to it. I (laughs) realize that they just signed everybody, everybody in free agency that they could, and I'm sure they're going to go all in in the draft as well. Try to ace that, something that they haven't done in over a decade. I don't know where this, the narrative is that Bill Belichick is a great talent evaluator. I guess I'm missing something. I got to get my... My, my glasses to to clear that up when I look. Well, let's at see what games. he let's see what he does in the draft first because yeah, free agency. I think he's done okay with with the veteran signings that he's had in the past. Now they've never gone all in with all this money before, but uh, let's see what they do in the draft. Seven because and I think ten, that, Lou. That's really it. where they've missed it. So and that number will probably change. These numbers may change a little bit after the draft, but we'll, we'll see. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of torn on, on New England. I, I would never put it past them to be above 500, but uh, they're going to have to go to, what, 10 and ten and 7 to, to win that bet. I, I'd, I'd waver on that one. I don't know if, I, if I'm going to be putting my money on that one. I think as, as another underplay team that may be overestimated here is the Jets, 6.5. So basically they'd have to go 7 and 10, Yes, you know, they've improved some pieces of their roster, but you know, Zach Wilson's going to be the starting quarterback from day 1. He's obviously there's going to be some growing pains there. I mean, he's going to be playing in pockets that he's never seen before because he is going to be they're going to be breathing down his throat when he's making all those off-platform throws that they rave about. Yeah, I'm going under on the Jets for sure. Under six and a half. Well, Zach Wilson is going to have to be the next Joe Namath. He's going to have to be that savior in order for the for the Jets to win that many games. Or maybe Robert Sala. You know, it's just going to be the, the next coming of, I'm thinking of Bill Parcells. You got McDermott, Belichick, Flores, who has shown that, you know, he's on his way to, I think, kind of putting himself in that you know, one of the best coaches conversation they're in a tough spot i wow i mean they're really really jacking this up and based on zach wilson i yeah he's gonna be a good player but that first season i'm just not feeling it not with that team every week we've been uh, fixing teams and uh, this week we've got the la chargers who finished seven and nine last year lou and they've got nine picks nine total picks they've got a new head coach and they have a quarterback of the future to get excited about so what do you think where, where do you think they're going to go with that 13th pick overall as we were talking about before with maybe some of the movement in front of them it, it's hard to say but i mean if you're looking at just you know taking the best players and somewhere that it's going to fit i think in a perfect world they'd be looking at one of those top corners offensive linemen depending on you know which, which one falls to them or hell they may even you know, move up a few spots to do that Patrick Sertan falls, or if J.C. Horn falls to 13. Obviously, the more quarterbacks that go ahead of them, pushing down some of the top uh, defensive players, which there really aren't that many. Hell, if Micah Parsons were to fall to that that point, I wouldn't put it past them to, to take him. So that's kind of the, the direction that I would look at. Now, they brought in Lindsley, 
you know, as far uh, offensive linemen. So that that helps them a little bit there. But it, it's almost a, a completely rebuilt offensive line. They they lost Tevi uh, to Indianapolis. You know, they bring in a Bushi from from Detroit. And again, these aren't great players, so you're going to need some help here. Filer from Pittsburgh. So these are kind of stop gaps. You know, if one of those top offensive linemen like a Panay Sewell or Sean Slater were to fall, obviously you jump on one of them as, as quickly as possible, which it probably isn't going to happen. I would say the best chance may be one of those corners. And I know you're not very high on Farley, and the medical seems to have checked out, but they got to be a little bit afraid of that. I would say one of those corners or an offensive lineman, if one of those top two fall. So that's where I'm going. I agree with you. I think cornerback is really enticing because you look at Brandon Staley and what he was able to do in his only season with the Rams, and he had a very good secondary. He had Jalen Ramsey that lockdown corner. So J.C. Horn is going to be an enticing option, especially with him, you know, just doing really well at his pro day, running in the four threes and showing off his athleticism. His dad played in the league, so he's got the NFL bloodlines as well. And he's got that competitive, physical type of nature. He's a beast. I mean, J.C. Horn is my number one corner on the board. He could make life easier on the entire defense it's asking a lot obviously for a rookie corner to to lock down number one wide receivers he is going to go through his growing pains but again we're talking about the future but you have to address the left tackle position I mean you could say that you signed a couple of guys in free agency you signed a center it's great but you still need to protect Justin Herbert your investment your offensive rookie of the year, and they don't have a left tackle on the roster right now. Even if Panay Sewell and Rashawn Slater are gone, there's going to be a run on offensive tackles as well. Maybe a guy like Christian Derrissaw, you know, at 13 from Virginia Tech. Maybe a guy like Sam Cosme. Maybe a bit high, but those guys would fit that offensive zone blocking scheme that they run. Those guys are really athletic. They can get out to the second level. They've got nimble feet. So I would say look in that direction. So to me, taking a left tackle trumpets taking a cornerback at 13. Do you think Telesco, would he, from a value perspective, I think, yes, you have to protect him, but you also, again, can run into some problems if, again, it isn't one of those top tackles. Yes, you have to protect Herbert. I agree with that wholeheartedly. And that's what my point was, is if for somehow one of those top two tackles falls, you jump on it right away. But more than likely, that's not going to happen. I hope it does for their sake, but more than likely it doesn't. So then now you look at those those top corners, I think they're probably, from a value perspective, rated a little bit higher. So somebody like a Cosmere Derisa, would you have them in the top 15 of this draft? Yeah, Christian Derrissaw is a top 15 prospect in this draft, and I think teams should definitely look in his direction. Look, the Chargers haven't had a good offensive line since the Phillip Rivers days. They weren't able and to even protect th- And them. even then. <laughs> and even then. They, they haven't had a left tackle in like a decade. It's amazing because you had a statue, a quarterback, and Phillip Rivers. Obviously, Justin Herbert can move outside of the pocket. He's got athleticism. He, he can run away from pressure. Look. You drafted a young quarterback. Now you have to address the offensive line. And I think this is almost like a blueprint. I mean, you mentioned that they signed a few guys in free agency to address the offensive line, but they kept those bookends not filled because the the right guy wasn't on the board. But obviously, I believe 
they think they can address that position early, and I think it starts at 13. So go get Derrissaw with that pick. All right. Well, right now they've got penciled in, if you would, Trey Pipkin's third-round pick from a couple years ago at left tackle. As far as the interior of the line is completely rebuilt with the Bushi, Lindsley, and Filer. You've got Brian Balaga still there. I mean, he's a little long in the tooth, if you would. Yeah, I mean, they absolutely have to address the offensive line, and I wouldn't be surprised if they went there again with the 47th pick, unless, again, you know, one of these one of these other corners, maybe a little bit further down the list, like an Asante Samuel Jr., uh, Elijah Molden, you would say, is more of a more of a nickel guy. Would you say, or would you say like an inside slot guy? Yeah, he's a slot corner, Elijah Molden. I think a lot of teams will look at Asante Samuel Jr. also as yeah. uh, as a nickel corner. Okay, so, and they've fit. got Chris, and they've got Chris Harris there, so that may not be where they go. But somebody like an Eric Stokes, maybe you know, maybe he may still be around at uh, kind of mid second round. Yeah, I think those Georgia corners, uh, there's two of them, Eric Stokes and Tyson Campbell. I think those two guys would still be available, in my opinion, in the second round. And uh, that that's a possibility where they could go with that corner. But I also think that you mentioned, I mean, they still have to address offensive guard. They have to address edge rusher, in my opinion. They also have to look at a wide receiver. You've got Keenan yep. Allen. You've got Mike Williams. You've got a slot receiver and an outside guy, but you That's need really another it. outside receiver. Because I'm looking at their at depth. You know, Joe Reed. You know, fifth round pick last year. KJ Hill, seventh round pick last year. They got a couple of guys, if you would, Jalen Guyton and Tyron Johnson. So yeah, I mean, other they definitely have to go receiver. They brought in Jared Cook, but again, yeah, they they're going to need a, some help at tight end. So they're not one player away. I don't see them really making a lot of you know like a bold move upwards. So I don't know that you're going to see that. I would say they'd be more a candidate to maybe trade back a little bit if. In fact, some of those players that they like start to drop to add some more picks and get even more youth on this team. Do you see the Chargers as a playoff team next year? Because a lot of people are excited. They've got a defensive-minded coach. Justin Herbert obviously had a great year. Maybe he takes a little bit of a step back as a sophomore. I mean, there is a sophomore slump, and it, it does happen. But if they address the offensive line, if they get the left tackle, and if they get another offensive guard, and they get that straightened out, do you think the Chargers are a playoff-bound team? It's going to be tough in that division. The Kansas City Chiefs are number one. Denver Things Broncos. Are, well, have, well, that's the that's the point. If you, if but it's only chance, one team. We're talking about I the Wild. I understand. Definitely will limit your ability to get in because again, you've got the the AFC North, Seven which teams. has the the East has some really good teams. Now the South, not so much. I mean, you got Tennessee, you got Indianapolis. It's it's going to be tight. I mean, this year they had seven losses by one score. Four of those losses, teams scored like in the last few minutes of the game to to beat them. So yeah, they're in they're in their games, and I think that has a lot to do with Justin Herbert. So if he continues to play well, and you would hope he gets even better next year, uh, that that can alleviate some of these holes that they have so i'm not seeing it for next season moving forward i mean they're they're certainly going to challenge the chiefs every year just because of herbert and some of the youth that they have and and how telesco is building this thing but next year i'm out as far as they're concerned oh by the way they're over expected over under total is nine 
which at nine and eight may not be good enough to get in. Again, every season falls differently, injuries and so forth. But you're asking me today with the offensive line, the way it's constructed and hopefully plugging in some rookies, I'm going to say no. But let's go through it really quickly. So we believe that the Bills, the Browns, the Chiefs, those are the three teams that will make the playoffs. I think we're on board with that, right? We well, also look at, be- well, for, well, first, look at, look at you know who you think is going to win these divisions. If we say Kansas City, Cleveland. Buffalo. Uh, would, would you say Indianapolis? Okay, so now you've got three And then you spots. have either the Colts or the Titans as your right. fourth. Right, so you've got so you got three spots open, in which one of those you would think is going to be Indianapolis or Tennessee. I would believe, you know, Miami's on the cusp. No, not with Tua. The Ravens. The Ravens He's not are that bad. There. Baltimore's going to be in the hunt. I don't care what, you know, how bad the Steelers look down the stretch or whatever. They're still going to be in the hunt. You know, again, they're one of those teams where you could certainly say they're on the down swoop. But again, just historically, they're going to be in the hunt. Yeah, the Chargers have a chance, but it's put them versus some of those teams that, that we're, we have here that are on the edge. I would have to side with those other teams just from an experience standpoint. They have better offensive lines than this. A rookie head coach by the name of Kevin Stefanski led the Browns to the playoffs last year. Right. I'm just I'm the, looking, That roster compared to this? I'm looking at the rookie head coach that can do it this year. And out of all mm-hmm. the names, all the head coaches this year, I think that's the one team that I'm looking at just because they have a quarterback. If they address the offensive line, I think that right. defense is going to be better. Derwin James is going to come back. If he's healthy, right? Right. I think that that's a And right chance. now your starting corners are Michael Davis and Tavon Campbell. I don't know. I'm just not, I'm just not feeling it, you know, overall. And again, moving forward, I think this is one of those teams that you know, is going to be going to challenge the Chiefs very strongly moving forward. But I think just this coming season, I'm just not feeling it. All right. Like I said, I've got the Chargers <laughs> in the playoffs next year. Are you, are you going over nine wins? Yes, I am. Throw one more out that just this was just kind of a hodgepodge leftover. And then one of the more interesting teams out there, their total is five, Detroit. Put me down for over on Detroit 5. They'll be biting kneecaps and slugging people and whatever they have to do, but I can I can see them you know, finding six wins in, in that division. You know how I feel about Jared Goff, but Ed Hunt, who is my current partner at Blitzcast, yeah. said that the Lions are going to be picking number one next season. That means Jared, <laughs> that means Jared Goff had a bad season. They can't be worse than Houston. But I also pose this question to him. If he believes that Detroit will be picking number one overall, shouldn't he pick a quarterback at seven? You would. Then? Yeah, you would think that you would, would be the way to that, go. You would think that, right? Yeah. Because you would have somebody fall to you. I mean, whether it's Jones or Lance or Fields, whoever, somebody's going to yeah. fall to you. And so you have to take that quarterback knowing that Jared Goff is just that bridge quarterback for a year, but at least you have a young guy. And this is a, a good, a very good quarterback class in the first round i would compare this quarterback class to the 2004 group than i would the 2018 group i just think the talent level is is a lot greater from this group and they're a lot closer to those three hall of famers in the in the 2004 group 
Now, I know people can go to the site or, you know, listen to the other show, but just real quick here, who are your top, say, two or three quarterbacks coming out next year? Well, I think that the main guys next year are Sam Howell from UNC. At this point, I think he would remind people he's closer to like Baker Mayfield than he is to a guy like Trevor Lawrence. I mean, or even Zach Wilson. And then you have Spencer Rattler. But I think the question there is, Rattler is three years removed from high school. Like last year, he was a redshirt freshman. But this year, he's still going to be a redshirt freshman. So I'm not sure like what, how the NFL is going to perceive this COVID year. I mean, we do know that you have to be three years removed from high school in order to be eligible for the college draft. And he will be because he is three years removed. But officially, he's still going to be a redshirt freshman just because last year didn't count. So I'm curious to find out the explanation on that, whether Spencer Rattler is going to be eligible for the 2022 NFL draft. If he is, he's definitely a top three, top five guy. You know, with another really good year like he had as a freshman, he's going to be a number one overall pick. So those are the two guys. And then you have to look at two guys. Keaton Slovis from USC kind of didn't have the best year that Pac-12 championship game against Oregon that he struggled in. He's got to get better. And also JT Daniels. Keep an eye on JT Daniels, the former USC guy. He got injured. He transferred to Georgia. Keep an eye on him because he's got the physical tools that I think NFL teams are going to be enticed by. All right, very good. Uh, I guess one quick thing before we get out of here. Uh, Alex Smith, he he hung it up. And say what you will about his career, number one pick overall. Uh, we talked about chips or no chips. And uh, Aaron Rodgers, you know, obviously, they famous famously slipped out of number 24. And he's probably been carrying that the whole way. And obviously, that was the pick that San Francisco should have made. But at the end of the day, what Alex Smith represents as far as a human being, as far as what he did for no matter what team he played for, he was able to persevere and make them a little bit better. Once he got, you know, with Jim Harbaugh, Andy Reid, Ron Rivera, good coaches and so forth. I mean, he his winning percentage was amazing. Now, was he going to wow you with, you know, great throws downfield? Now, you know, say what you will, but, you know, he had his moments. But he wasn't a guy that was going to win a lot of games on his own. Before he broke his leg, I mean, that was, you know, probably his biggest asset as far as a player goes. But as far as a guy, locker room guy, leader, uh, I mean, it's been well documented what Pat – Patrick Mahomes took from him that year. He kind of was the understudy uh, in Kansas City and, and still speaks glowingly of Alex Smith and what he did to come back from that injury. Just you can't put into words. Supposedly he did have which, you know, we talked about, and I'm sure everybody talked about him returning and playing with Jacksonville, being kind of had the same role that he did for Mahomes with uh, Trevor Lawrence. But I think Alex really wanted to go out playing so once he saw that those opportunities weren't going to be there I think he just made the made the smart decision I think he's done enough to earn his spot in this league and just can't say enough about him what he did in Kansas City you know from my perspective just you know following his career very closely at that point he was just you know second to none from a character guy leader what you want the adult in the room we are like I said 
one week away, next show, we should be uh, hitting the airwaves either on the day of the first round or about that time. But uh, for Alex, I'm Lou, pros like us. We're out till next week. Peace!